Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, please visit vcnola.com. Here is this week's message from Pastor Jared Stevens, the senior pastor of Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Dustin, and don't you want to say thank you to this worship team that led us this morning in worship? Grateful for you, and uh, it really is good to be with you. I love this church, and as Dustin said, I've been privileged to really be a partner uh, with this church from the very beginning through uh, our work in Dallas, and then when God moved me to Houston and we were developing. Uh, kind of a church planning network just to work together and help resource and encourage pastors and church planners. Vintage was number one on the list that we wanted to uh, be with. You know, I love the city of New Orleans, and uh, Dustin's right. If you are from out of town, one of the things that uh, pastors love about the Southern Baptist Convention being in New Orleans is the food. And, uh, you know, that's part of the partnership. I wanted to be able to come and eat as much as possible, you know. As, and so uh, we, we love partnering with Vintage and uh, just love your pastors. Love Dustin and Matt. You know, New Orleans is not the easiest place in the world uh, to plant a church and to grow a church, as uh, some of you live here know. Uh, but you've got uh, leaders that have decided that they're going to plant their life here. And I was just talking to Dustin this morning, just encouraging him to continue plowing. Uh, because the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. And I'm just here to encourage you this morning, Vintage Church, never give up in reaching your family members and your friends and those that you work with uh, because God is doing a great work and you are and will continue to reap a harvest in the days ahead. I'm going to tell you a little bit about today how Vintage Church has blessed my family uh, in a specific way. But before I get going, let me just kind of set up uh, where we're going in the text today. When Dustin was talking to me and and asked me to come, I said, is there anything specific you want me to preach? He said, why don't you do something from uh, your your book? And so uh, I've written two books. The first one is called The Mountains Are Calling. And uh, I look at mountaintop episodes in Scripture. It's amazing what God did on the mountains when you study it. Uh, Abraham takes his son Isaac uh, to sacrifice him to the Lord. And there God provides a substitute uh, right there on Mount Moriah. You look at Mount Sinai where uh, uh, Moses was delivered the Ten Commandments. as a holy mountain, if you will. Uh, you look at Mount Carmel where Elijah did battle uh, with the gods. And, and all through the scriptures you see the, these mountaintop moments. Into the New Testament, Jesus uh, is said he went to a desolate mountain to spend time with his father and pray. Uh, he gave the great commission from an unnamed mountain in Galilee. He ascended from a mountain promises to return to a mountain. So there's, there are a lot in there. The mountains are calling. And then my second book is The Always God right here. And uh, this was my COVID book. Uh, I had a lot of time and uh, people were coming from our church. They were, of course, just like here in New Orleans. Uh, it was a time of uncertainty. People were losing jobs. Uh, the question was, what, what's happening next? And uh, I just spent a lot of time running uh, just to get out of the house, really. And uh, as I was just running, the Lord placed this message 
on my heart, the always God. And the subtitle of this book really says everything. He hasn't changed and you're not forgotten. And uh, so Dustin said, why don't you just do something out of your book? And I break this book up into three sections. The first is that God is always here. He's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. That was a good message to, to preach to people and to encourage people with during COVID. Then the fact that he's always working. You know, when I was out running, there was that song Waymaker that was real popular uh, back in 20. You know, even when we don't feel it, he's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. And when we talk about that, just all the ways that God is working, even then when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. And then the last part is about how God is always faithful, that you can always hope in him. You can always uh, trust him. And uh, that's the book. And so uh, if you ever have problems sleeping at night, I really encourage you to pick up these books. It'll do the trick. And uh, I'm going to take one uh, chapter out of one section of this book. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. All of the scripture references uh, that you look at will be on the screen for you. If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to, the title of the message today is going to be Pursuing the Lost. Okay? Pursuing the Lost. Uh, I've been on the road the last two weeks. I was up in Colorado uh, just two weeks ago uh, with a family camp that my family and I go to every single year and we drive up there so that's like 15 to 17 hours and uh, you know when you go on trips like this uh, you you do whatever you can to make the time pass and uh, we, we love going to camp it's up in the mountains so it's out of the heat of Houston and uh, we ride horses and we do ropes courses but when we when we go we also pack things that we're going to need for our stay overnight and there's always board games that we bring with us. There's always puzzles, card games, so that we can make sure uh, that the most amount of fights happen uh, on the way there, you know, right? And so one of our favorite games to play is the game Clue, all right? Now, I love, uh, and my girls love this game, and one of my favorite things about this game is, is beating them without mercy, okay? And uh, I have four girls, and so I've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and two 11-year-old twins. I uh, went for that third one to be a boy. God gave me two more girls. And so I'm the president of my own sorority house, all right, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I love these girls. And uh, when we play uh, Clue, I'm always Colonel Mustard every time. And, and I take it serious, okay, very serious. And I'll just give you some pro tips uh, if you hadn't played Clue in a while, uh, th these will help you as you think through it. You know, you've got to pay attention. You've got to make sure that you're asking the right questions. You've got to make sure that you're following the right leads, taking notes, taking risks. Sometimes you have to be aggressive. And what I love about this game is not just the mystery behind it. Uh, but what I love about it is it's not over until whoever committed the crime is found out. Whatever they committed the crime with is made known. And wherever that crime took place is discovered. Then and only then is the pursuit over. There's no giving up. There's no quitting. It's not over until the pursuit is chased down. Now it's this kind of bold, aggressive, never giving up pursuit that we read about in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. And we find in this chapter three parables that teach one big lesson. And if there was one major point I would give to this message today, here is the point. The always God always pursues the lost. The reason for Jesus 
coming to earth was to pursue, chase down, seek after those who are lost and in need of Him. And in Luke chapter 15, uh, three of the most well-known parables we have in Scripture, Jesus vividly illustrates for us this point, what this pursuit of the lost looks like. Now, before we get into our text, let's talk about what we mean when we use the term lost, because Jesus is going to use it multiple times. If you have your Bibles open, he uses it twice in verses 14 and verse 6, dealing with the parable of the lost sheep, the word lost. He uses the word lost twice in the second parable dealing with the lost coin. That's verses 8 and verses 10. And then in the third parable dealing with the lost son, he uses this word lost in verse 24. Now most of us know uh, what it means to, to, to have something that we've lost. When I was doing research for this book, uh, Newswire put out a, uh, a statistic that the average American, are you ready for this, spends two and a half days each year looking for lost items, all right? You know what it is, lost sock, lost keys. If you didn't have that, uh, find my iPhone. Some of you wouldn't have your iPhone on you this morning. Collectively, uh, the U.S. US households spend $2.7 billion a year in replacement costs of what they have lost. I mean, just think about it. You, those of you with young families, do you not carry about seven passies on you at one time? Why? Because those things have legs. You draw, they're gone. Um, uh, we, we lose stuff all of the time. We know what it is to be lost. Well, Jesus takes this word and he uses it and applies it to describe somebody who is not in a relationship with him. And when he uses this word lost, it's defined in a much stronger way in the original language than the way that we'd use it today. It's actually a word that means the state of being ruined. It carries this idea of something being utterly destroyed, totally decimated. It's used 92 times in the New Testament. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses in John 3 16 when he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the word lost there. Should not be wasted away but have eternal life. I say all this to say let's not get away from using the word lost to describe those who are outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a good word that Jesus uses here. I'm all for being uh, sensitive uh, to those that we're trying to win to Christ, to lessen any terminology that may come across as offensive, but lost is a good word to describe those outside of a relationship with Jesus. In fact, the scriptures will say elsewhere to use even harsher language. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says those who are outside a personal relationship with the Lord are hostile toward God. Ephesians 2.12 says they're separated from God, having no hope. Colossians 1.13, that they are living in a domain of darkness. And so understand what's being communicated here. When we say that always God always pursues these are the type of people that he pursues. Those who are lost, on their way to utter destruction, hostile toward God. These are the people our God pursues. And Jesus is teaching this truth in Luke chapter 15 
to a bunch of religious people, Pharisees, who think they know God, but in these parables, Jesus is about to blow their mind. It begins in verse 1. Look at what the Bible says. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, that's very interesting. Tax collectors and sinners, people far away from God, they drew near to Jesus. They, they enjoyed the company of Jesus when you read the scriptures. It's very interesting, isn't it? I don't know why it is that you read about his life and maybe it's because he didn't pass judgment on them, look down on them, spoke in a way that they could understand. He showed them love and care and concern. It's just a practical application for us this morning. Do lost people, people who are far from God, enjoy our company as much as they enjoyed the company of Jesus? Just something to consider. Look at verse 2 and 3. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he tells them this parable. Now, never in a million years did the religious leaders at this time view God as a God that pursued the lost, as a God who sought after those who were not seeking him. Commentator uh, William Barclay, who is a liberal theologian, but a brilliant historian, he set some context for us in this. Listen to what he says about the religious leaders and the Pharisees. No Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that, someone who pursues the lost. A great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is the one absolutely new thing which Jesus taught about God, that he actually searched for us. A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling home to God in self-abasement and prayed for pity might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out to search for sinners. And yet this is who our God is. He searches out for sinners in need of him. And again, Jesus' teaching shares three parables that communicate this one truth that the always God always pursues the lost. In parable one, it's the lost sheep. Look at verses four through seven. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here you have one little sheep who's lost, in danger, on his way to destruction. And by the way, we know who the lost sheep represents, right? It's me and you. Isaiah 53 verse 6, the first part says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray and turned to his own way. And then you have the shepherd who comes after this lost sheep. And we know who the shepherd represents, right? It's Jesus. John chapter 10 calls him the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go after that one lost sheep and searches until he finds it. And when he finds it, there's celebration and there's rejoicing. And then he continues and tells a second parable of a lost coin. Illustrating again uh, the, 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 the significance of those who are lost and the shepherd seeking after searching until they find it. Verses 8 through 10. What woman having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house. And look at this, seek diligently 
until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel's God over one sinner who repents. This coin, great value, represented about a day's worth of wages. And this woman puts everything on hold for this one coin. Turns the house upside down. Vacuuming, sweeping, lighting up the lamp, seeking diligently. Nothing gets on her agenda until this lost coin is found. And when she finds, what happens? She calls her friends. She's rejoicing. And then you get this parable of the lost son. Now, we won't read this whole story. It's one of the most... Uh, probably the most well-known parables in all of the scripture, the parable of the prodigal son. And you know what happens? A dad has a couple of sons, and the youngest one comes to his father and says, Dad, I want you to give me my share of the inheritance, which in that day was a communication of, Dad, you're dead to me because you didn't get the inheritance until the father passed away. So basically saying, Dad, I'm done with you. And he wants his share of the inheritance. And so the father in love, gives his son his inheritance. And the Bible says that this young man goes into the far distant country and he squanders his inheritance. The Bible says he squanders it on reckless living. He, he empties out his inheritance so much so that the Bible says this Jewish boy, nobody could tell a, a story like Jesus, this Jewish boy ends up feeding pigs. You know? One of, the, one of the places, if you are a guest, you want a good breakfast, you go to Elizabeth's, all right? They got a praline bake in there. That, that, I was going to say change, Jesus will change your life, but this praline bacon's pretty close, all right? It's amazing. And every time I go there, I just can't even, can't even imagine being Jewish, you know, not being able to eat that praline bacon. I, I, would, I, would, I would convert right there, okay? Uh, but Jesus knew how to tell a story here. No doubt. The religious leaders listening to Jesus were thinking that this kid is getting exactly what he deserved because to them, he was just a rebellious kid who was reaping what he had sowed. And he was. But you know what else he was? Absolutely miserable. That's what living in sin and living for self, it'll get you every single time. It's fun for a season. But it doesn't deliver. And this boy comes to his senses, the Bible says. And he says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make it right with God. And if you read verses 16 through 24, I'll just read just, uh, just briefly. He was longing to be fed, Luke 15 verse 16, with the pods the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. And so he makes this decision, I'll rise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But look at this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran. Totally undignified for a, a, a man in that day to, to, to pick up his robe and start running. And yet this man who's looking for his son, when he sees him from a distance, got to look like him, he just starts taking off after him. And he embraces him and he kisses him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a picture. What an image. 
a father. Every parent can empathize with this. Running to his son who was lost and wasting away. Coming back home. Spurgeon, great English preacher, preached a message on this text. It was called, Many Kisses for Returning Sinners. And listen to what he, listen to what he says about this. See the contrast? There is the son scarcely daring to think of embracing his father. Yet his father has scarcely seen him before he has fallen on his neck. The condescension of God towards penitent sinners is very great. He seems to stoop from his throne of glory to fall upon the neck of a repentant sinner. God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. It is a wonderful picture of God running after his children that are lost, pursuing the lost. And here's what I don't want you to miss. That God that was pursuing the lost that we read about in Luke chapter 15, listen to this. He's still pursuing the lost today. And this idea, the always God always pursues the lost. You read and study Luke chapter 15. And really what this point that we're talking about, the always God always pursues the lost, you really could change it to this. The always God always pursues the one that is lost. Did you notice the, the, the word one in these passages? The value of one. Verse 4, verse 7, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine? And go after that one that is lost. Verse 7. Just so I tell you there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. Verse 8 and 10. What woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin? The value of one. Verse 10. Just so I tell you there's joy in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The father, while he had two sons, it was one that was lost in a far country that he grieved after and ran toward to the infinite value of one. You see this value and how the shepherd leaves 99 to search after that one, how the woman turns her house upside down looking for that one coin, how the father runs to this one and when they find it, every single parable, what is it? There's celebration, there's rejoicing. You can't read these parables in Luke chapter 15. Without seeing the value of one coming off the page. And the clear teaching from Jesus here is that the lost, those who are far from God, those who are on their way to destruction, every one of them has value to Jesus. This is why God left the confines of heaven in the person of Jesus. And he came on a search and rescue mission from heaven to find the lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came. This is why He lived a perfect life. The ultimate way God showed His love for man is by coming and pursuing us 
by dying for us on a cross. God shows his love for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and that while we were yet sinners, lost and on our way to destruction, Christ died for us. The value of one, that the precious Son of God shed his blood for me and for you. Don't buy into this idea that you don't matter. Don't buy into this idea that God doesn't love you, God doesn't care for you. You do matter. And the fact that God sent Jesus to save you from your sin shows you just how valuable you are. God loves you. So my challenge to you today is, if you're running from the Lord, the best thing you can do is stop and let this hound of heaven, as he's referred to, chase you down and find you. Francis Thompson was born in 1859. Wanted to be a writer in England, but his dad wanted to be a physician and kind of pushed him into it. He went to med school and he tried it, but he dropped out and ended up injuring himself and went to the doctors and they gave him some opiates and he became addicted to opiates, so much so that a few years later he was living under a bridge on the Thames River and was about to take his life. And as he was considering taking his life, he recalled the faith that he grew up in. And he just began to think about the God that he had heard about from his mom especially and the truths that she taught him from the Bible. And he decided he was going to give God one more try. And he ends up coming back to the Lord and becomes a successful writer, wrote a lot of poetry, died in, uh, of tuberculosis at the age of 47, but he wrote a poem that he's now best known for called The Hound of Heaven. And it's too long for us to read today, but I want to get, just give you a, a commentary on it. John O'Connor said this about this poem, The Hound of Heaven. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in its chase, with unhurrying and imperturbed pace. No, there's no rush here. God is constant. His mind is set. You're running from him. He has you in his, zeroed in, in his uh, eyes. He, 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 you're, tar you're a target for him. He's going to keep going. And so does God allow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love away from God, it seeks to hide itself. Look at this. Divine grace follows after unwearingly follows after ever till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. In other words, God will chase you down and continue pursuing you with an everlasting love. And to keep running from him is to keep hurting yourself. And so let this hound of heaven, the always God who always pursues Surrender to him today. Run no more. And you know what happens when you'll be when you're found by God? 
You don't get a spiritual spanking because you've been away. You know, I always thought about this sheep. You know, if, if I was the shepherd and that sheep got away from me, I'd, you know, break its leg and say, run away again, you know, or shear it and kind of embarrass it in front of the other sheep, you know. But what, is, what does Jesus do? The picture he paints is that shepherd picks up his sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, and he comes back rejoicing. It's what I do when I play Clue with my kids, and I win. <laughs> I, the pursuit is over. I push back from the table, and I gloat. <laughs> and I just wonder if that's not what God does when he chases down sinners. I wonder if he just gloats, looks at the enemy, points to the scoreboard, called the cross and the empty tomb. And he is chased down. He has pursued that one that is lost. And he found him. Vintage church. I told you this church is deeply meaningful to me because years ago, um, my brother grew up in the same house, went to the same church, when he graduated high school in Bossier City, Louisiana, he went to uh, the University of Southern Mississippi, joined the Pike House fraternity. I went to Washita Baptist University, went to preaching school. Uh, so we went two totally different ways. And when my brother left the house, he left like many teenagers do, left his faith in the rearview mirror. And for years, uh, really didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And God had burdened my heart for my brother because I love my brother. And I would try to talk to him. We're a close family, you know, get together. Uh, summer vacation sometimes, obviously the Christmas and the holidays. And every time I'd talk to my brother about his relationship with the Lord, he would say, save it. Jarrett, just save it. And so there was really nothing I could do except pray for my brother, pray for my brother. And I did. I prayed for my brother because I desperately wanted God. I remember praying, God, would you, would, you, would you save him? Would you get him? And just be merciful in the way that you do it. I remember praying that prayer over and over and over. 2014, my grandfather passes away. My grandfather held our, I mean, he, he, was, he was awesome. And, and we loved our granddad. And we went to that funeral. And... Uh, my brother, uh, after the funeral, we, we were out at my grandparents' house, and, and my brother brings this up. He said, you know what, Jarrett? I, I really need to get back into church. And I said, well, look, Eric, I don't know much about anything, but I know about church. And I said, there's a great church in New Orleans. It's close to your house, man. Um, and uh, why don't you just give it two times? If you give it two times... And it, it's not what you, I'll never bring it up again. He got in his car that day, it was a Saturday, and he drove back here to New Orleans. I got in my car on Sunday and drove back to Dallas, where I was living at the time. Now, I got to about Longview, Texas, and it was a little after uh, lunchtime. And I remember pulling up my Twitter account, because I followed Vintage Church. I pulled over to the side of the road, you know, to check my Twitter account. And um, when I pulled it up, this picture came up. And you can't hardly see it right there, but it says, packed house, sitting outside, pumped to see so many worship Jesus. This was finished church. Now, on that top picture, that's my brother sitting there on the back row with his two kids. 
Hadn't been in church in years. Years. And I remember praying right then, God, would you work in his heart? Would you do something? And it wasn't about a day or two later, my brother calls me. And I remember I was in my closet for some reason. And, and he began to proceed to tell me about a trial that he was walking through in life. And, um, and that he went to the church. And I just sensed the Spirit of God say, man, if you've never shared the gospel with him, you share it right now. And I told him, I said, Eric, listen to me. God is pursuing you. And you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to bow your neck toward God. And he's going to break you. Or you're going to bow your knee. And you're going to give your life to Jesus. And we got off the phone. And I was praying for him. And the next day, I'm pulling into the church. And my brother calls me. And in tears, he tells me, Jared, I'm going to get my life right. I'm getting it right. And I'm telling you, I came down here in November. That was in February. I came down here in November of the same year to Venice Church. At that time, y'all were meeting at the Rockin' Bowl. You didn't even have this place. Y'all were meeting at the Rockin' Bowl. My whole family is here. I got to preach that day, and then I got to baptize my brother in the back of a pickup truck. Here's the video just to show you, Venice Church, how much I love what you mean to the. I'm telling you the fact that you love my brother. Watch the video, and it'll say the story for itself. Venice Church, I love you so much. My family loves you, and uh, I'm here today to baptize my big brother. Eric, is it your testimony you're being baptized today because you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because of that public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus and obedience to His command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried in Christ in baptism. How cool is that, Vintage Church? Uh, you had a part to play in that. And I'm just so, so grateful. And it illustrates the point that I'm making today. That the always God always pursues the loss. And here's the beautiful thing. When God saves us, He gives us His heart. And we're to pursue the lost in unison with Him. And just as I had one in my life, my brother at the time, who was far away, I'm telling you there's somebody in your life, you have one that doesn't know Jesus. And it may be a brother or a sister. It may be a mom or a dad. It may be a co-worker or friend from college. I don't know who it is, but don't you dare give up because our always God, He isn't giving up. Our always God always pursues the lost. And so you keep praying. And you keep seeking. And you keep pursuing just like our God. And when they come to know Jesus, just like in this video, there's going to be celebration and rejoicing. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm so grateful for this time. I'm so grateful for this church, this beacon of light here in New Orleans that's reaching people for Jesus, loving their community. And God, my heart just loves the people called Vintage Church. And I thank you, God, that you use this church to help pursue my brother who was lost on his way to destruction. And yet, you found him. 
It was just through people loving him. It wasn't creative sermons. It wasn't, it wasn't apologetical arguments. It was just you, God, pursuing my brother, using people to pursue my brother who loved him. And it led to his life being changed, God. And I give you praise. And I just pray that, if, Lord, if there's anybody in here that is running from you, may they stop today. They're only hurting themselves, Lord. May they stop in their tracks and just let you, just like that father running to his son, fall on their neck. Fill your tears, God, for them. Fill your love for them. And God, if there's one person in their life that's wavered, Lord, they know who they are. Their name is written on their heart. They're looking in their mind's eye right now at who that person is. God, would you save them? Would you keep pursuing? God, would you do what only you can do? Find that one that is lost so that there can be celebration and rejoicing. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.